remain standing because I'm going to dive right into the scripture so that you don't sit down, stand up, sit down, stand up. I'll just keep you standing. We'll dive right into the scripture this morning. I want to preach to you this morning on the covenant kindness of God. That's the title of my message, the covenant kindness of God. And so the scriptures that I want to look at are 1 Samuel chapter 18 and 2 Samuel chapter 9. So if you have your Bible and you want to follow along in those passages, we'll look at 1 Samuel chapter 18. First, I'll give you just a minute if you'd like to get there. If not, it's going to be on the screen for you. And then we'll jump to just a couple verses in 2 Samuel chapter 9. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 through 4, it says this. Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and he gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. 2 Samuel chapter 9 verses 1 through 3. 2 Samuel chapter 9 verses 1 through 3. Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? He said, At your service. Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show, catch this phrase, the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. Father in heaven, we bless your name. God, I ask for you to be with us this morning. God, to bless the reading and the preaching of your word. We continue in worship. As Jojo said, all that we've done thus far through singing and through giving has been an act of worship. As we break the bread of the word of God, this is worship. I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, God, that you would lead me that I would be as the oracles of God, and these your people, God, that their hearts and minds would be open to receive of your word. Teach us, God, of your covenant kindness. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen and amen. I'm excited to have this opportunity. Pastor Brown doesn't give up his pulpit very often. And that's a good thing because he is an anointed preacher and teacher of God. Week in and week out, sometimes I wonder if we really realize the depth of the preaching that we receive. Because if you listen to others, and I do not want to begin that way, but I'm saying that the man of God that preaches from this platform is an anointed preacher. And I'm so thankful if he will give me this pulpit, that means he has entrusted me to preach to our congregation. I am so thankful that. So I want to honor Pastor Brown and Miss Sherry All that they do, all they've done in my life from the call of God for ministry uh, really began to be stirred in my life. And then, of course, my wife being a pastor's wife. What does that look like? You have so many ideas of what that's going to look like and the challenges that come with it. Pastor Brown and Miss Sherry have just brought us right into the fellowship, have given us room to work and to develop our gift, to be able to look at them and see what it means to be a pastor, what it means to be a pastor's wife, and to be able to develop in our calling. So first, before I do anything, because we had Grady Watson here a couple years ago, and he said to honor the senior pastor because that unlocks heaven's blessing. I believe that to be true. So I honor our senior pastor and Miss Sherry today. The covenant kindness of God. As a pastor, what do I desire? I desire for people to know God, to truly know God, not just to know about God, but to know God. And that's two different things. And in order to truly be able to worship God, we have to know God. 
And in order to experience the peace and the joy that comes from being in a relationship with God, we have to have an understanding of two things. I could give you more than two things, but I'm going to focus on two things in this message today that I think are going to help you to understand God, how he relates to us, and how we relate to him. And the two things we're going to dive into are the concepts of covenant and grace. Apart from those two things, it is hard to have a relationship and an understanding of who God is without an understanding of these things. Our relationship with God is going to be similar to that young girl who has the flower, who picks the petal, and what does she say? He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. There is no anchor in understanding of who God is, and unfortunately, that is the way that many Christians live because they do not have an understanding of the nature and character of God. They do not have or have a very low view or understanding of the concepts of covenant or grace. And I also believe that the only way to understand either one of these two subjects is really to study them together. Because as you look throughout the scripture, they are so closely tied together. Therefore, in this message, we're going to examine how these two things fit together in the story of David and Jonathan. Eventually leads us to the story of David and Mephibosheth. Many of you may be familiar with that, who is a descendant of Jonathan. But finally, we will land this plane looking at the way that the truths found in the story between David and Jonathan and David and Mephibosheth relate to us as New Covenant members. So my hope is that at the end of this message, everybody that's here would move further away from being like that young girl with the flower. He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. And instead, we'd be able to sing the wonderful lyrics of that song, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. That's what I want to develop through this message today. And it's going to take me a little bit of time to do that because I have to unpack the narrative. But I promise you that it's going to be well worth it. I had seven weeks to prepare for this message. That's too many. I'm going to tell Pat, not again. Give me three. Seven's too much. If you've preached before, when you dive into it, you get one thing. Another week goes by, you see another facet of the story. You have to pick when you preach and teach. You can't teach all five truths that are in there. You've got to pick one, maybe two at the most, and you've got to go with it. So if you give me seven weeks to look at a pastor, it's too much, Pastor Brown. If you, if you listen to this, give me three weeks next time, please. Because as I started looking at this, I originally started in 2 Samuel chapter 9. Looking at the story of Mephibosheth, I was in my own private devotions, began to think about Mephibosheth, wanted to read the narrative again to be reminded of it, and the phrase that stood out to me was the kindness of God. David said he wanted to show the kindness of God to a descendant of Saul, a descendant of Jonathan, and that stood out to me. And so the original title of this message was simply The Kindness of God. And we could have talked about that. But as I began to unpack and dive in and cross-reference and look at the narrative, how did David get to this point? Who is Mephibosheth? The kindness that David desired to show to a descendant of Jonathan was rooted in a covenant that he had made years before. And that began to change the way I saw this. Therefore, I changed the title, The Covenant Kindness of God. And so as we look at 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 through 4, it says, When he had finished speaking to, the, to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. 
Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go to his father's house anymore. Immediately, we see in the picture and in the story of David and Jonathan an immediate bond. They form a bond, and it is a bond that is of love and loyalty that goes beyond friendship. And we've got to understand this. This is not merely a friendship between David and Jonathan. This goes much deeper. It says that their souls are knit together. And as I begin to think about that, how do I describe this? This is more than just your regular friendship where you meet with somebody for coffee. This is a bond. And the only thing that could come to my mind, and there's more examples of this, but is military, firefighters, police officers. When you're in the line of duty with someone, when you've served alongside somebody, when you've been through those trials, through those situations, that bond gets forged in fire. If you know anyone that is military, if you know anyone that has a police background, when they meet a brother or sister that served alongside them, there is a bond. It is more than friendship. They stand with one another continuously. That's what we see with David and Jonathan, a bond that goes beyond friendship. And from this bond, we get to verse 3 that talks about, Then Jonathan and David made a covenant, made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. The Hebrew word for covenant is bereath. If you don't learn anything from this sermon today, you can go home and tell them you learned a little bit of Hebrew. The Hebrew word is bereath, and it's covenant. And the concept of covenant is throughout the Bible. Old Testament, New Testament. When you tell somebody I'm reading in the Old Testament or you tell somebody I'm reading in the New Testament, the word testament is a translation for the word covenant. You're reading in the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Used 300 times throughout the Bible, the word covenant is continuously used. The majority of those are found in the Old Testament. Our God is a God that is a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. In order to understand who God is, we have to have some understanding of covenant and the way that covenants operate. So a covenant is a binding agreement. And this is something I want to push in just a little bit. It's not simply a contract. And this is not where I want to go off, but I do want to make this point. The reason why we have so much trouble with marriage today and it's began to make its way into the church is because people enter into the covenant of marriage as though it's a contract. Those are two different things. A contract you will sign in ink, it can be broken. A covenant, and I understand there are biblical ways for covenant of marriage to be separated, but the idea of covenant goes beyond just a contract. It is much deeper much deeper. And I remember my wife and I were in a, a Bible study at the church we used to go to, a marriage Bible study, wanted to be a part of it. And there was a lady that asked us, do you have a marriage covenant? Are you in the covenant of marriage? Is your marriage a covenant marriage? I didn't know what to say. I was kind of, is there any other kind? Is immediately what came into my mind. But what she was talking about is the state of Arkansas, as well as Arizona, Louisiana. I don't know if there's any others. You can get what is considered a covenant marriage, where it is premarital counseling you have to go through. If there's going to be a divorce, there's more that you have to do. But I didn't know that there was any other thing other than a covenant marriage, because marriage is given to us by God. Therefore, God dictates the ways in which we operate. And a covenant is far more Binding, And that's what Arkansas is trying to do by giving you a covenant marriage. But as Christians, we are in the covenant of marriage the moment we enter into marriage with our spouse. It is a serious commitment and something that we are to be a part of. But where I want to begin to shift this and look at is the root word for covenant. At the root word for covenant is the idea of cutting. To cut a covenant. We still use language like this today. If we cut a deal with somebody... But at the root of the word for covenant is the idea of cutting. 
And we see this throughout Scripture many times. If there is a covenant, that God gets into a covenant with someone, such as Abraham, there is the cutting of animals. One piece on this side, one piece on this side, the blood in between. The parties would pass in between the two severed pieces of the animal. And I know this is a gory picture, but what they were saying to one another is that as we pass through these pieces, if I break this covenant, what has happened to this animal needs to be done to me. That's more than just signing ink. This is serious business as you enter into a covenant. And the culture at this time commonly practiced covenant. And it's very likely, and this is where I want to say to you, I'm reading in between the lines, but I don't believe I'm reading outside the lines of this passage of Scripture. When it says that Jonathan and David made a covenant, cut a covenant, it is very likely that the two of these men may have either cut their hand or potentially cut their wrist and joined them together. As Jonathan's blood was commingled with David's blood, they were joined together. You've heard the term before, blood brothers. Seriousness, holding it up in the presence of others, seeing the blood of one man and the blood of the other commingled and running down the arm, blood brothers. Jonathan, by making this covenant with David, is saying, I will be good to you and I will be good to your descendants. Vice versa, David is saying to Jonathan, I will be good to you and to your descendants. Many times if a man was just making a covenant or a promise to a group of people, he would cut his hand, lift it high for the people to see. As the blood would run down his arm, what he was saying to the people is, what I've spoken with my mouth, I will uphold by my life. Serious business as you enter into a covenant. And the covenant blessing extends to the descendants. We see this in 1 Samuel chapter 20. If you flip to 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 42 says that Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, since we have both sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, May the Lord be between you and me, between your descendants and my descendants forever. The covenant blessing extends to the descendants. Now, the descendants have to ratify the covenant, but not by the shedding of their blood, but by believing in it by faith. And that is what leads us to 2 Samuel chapter 9, the story of David and Mephibosheth. As we've developed the narrative and the understanding of covenant, you get to 2 Samuel chapter 9 and you have the story of David and Mephibosheth. And if you notice in this story, David desires to show the kindness of God to one of Jonathan's descendants. In verse 3, he says, Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? This word kindness is what I began to dive into. And as I looked into this word kindness, this is not merely being kind or doing simply a kind act. You and I could be kind to someone today by holding a door for them, by carrying their groceries, by speaking a kind word. This particular type of kindness comes from the Hebrew word kesed. And this word, many scholars would say that it is loving kindness. David desires to show the loving kindness of God to a descendant of Jonathan because it has within it, this word, the dual meaning of both love and loyalty. It's often used throughout the Bible to describe God's love for his people, Israel. This type of kindness is covenant kindness. It's the type of kindness that we find in the New Testament described as grace. Unmerited favor of God. Loving kindness. It's love that goes beyond just a simple act of doing good. It is love that is connected to the covenant of God and His faithfulness. Love that not only saves, but completely restores. I don't know if the worship team could have picked a better playlist this morning. A better set of songs. 
I asked Shane to sing one song, but that's at the end of today's message. But every song that he picked showed the loving kindness of God towards his people because of his son, Jesus Christ. We see David understanding covenant, understanding what this kindness is because he himself has received it, that this kindness is the kindness that brings about salvation. And in the story of David and Mephibosheth, there is a wonderful picture of salvation for us. And so I want to read through chapter 9 so that you understand. If you're not familiar with this story, it's just a few verses, but I want you to see this story of David and Mephibosheth, and then we're going to dive into that story and see how it applies to us today. And so we pick it up in verse 4. As David has found out that, yes, there is one descendant. There's a descendant who is lame in his feet. Verse 4, so the king said to them, where is he? Ziba said to the king, indeed, he is in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Maker, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face prostrated himself, and then David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered, Here is your servant. So David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? And the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and all his house. You, therefore, and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him. You shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. So Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king has commanded, this servant so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. Verse 13, so Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table and was lame in both his feet. Mephibosheth is lame in his feet. That gets put out many times in this passage. You go to 2 Samuel chapter 4 to discover how this happened. We don't have to turn there. I'll just tell you the story. It's very short. Mephibosheth is five years old. He's a prince, the son of Jonathan, the son of King David. He is royalty. And at this time, word comes to where he is staying with his nurse in the royal palace that Jonathan has died and Saul has died. David is now the king. In those days, it was a common practice. If the king that was coming in to rulership was not of the same line, all of the lineage of the past king would be destroyed. So in an attempt to save the life of Mephibosheth, the nurse takes him up, begins to run in haste in an attempt to save his life because she knows nothing of the covenant between Jonathan and David. Mephibosheth, a young boy, knows nothing of that covenant. So they flee in haste. And in haste, she trips with the five-year-old boy, her weight falling upon him, crushing his legs. You don't have a pediatric surgeon in these days. His legs are lame. So he goes from being a prince to being a lame, crippled, and deformed child, not living anymore in the palace, but living in a land called Lo-Debar in the house of a man named Maker. What we see pictured here is the fall of man. 
Like Mephibosheth, Adam was royalty, but due to the fall, the image of God was marred and deformed. Now we all experience the effects of that fall. Like Adam, we are crippled by sin. Because of sin, we are crippled. We are deformed. Living in a land of low debar. There's so much in this passage. Low debar. The word low means no or none. Debar means pasture. No pasture. A wilderness, a barren wasteland, from a king's palace to a barren wasteland. All because David got into rulership. All because David gets into rulership. He ends up from a prince living in Lodabar now, no pasture. The man's house that he lives under translates to the word sold. Sold under sin. Similar to us, we are sold under sin, living in a wilderness. Our spirits hunger and thirst for the grace of God. We go from one thing to the next, seeking to find what has been lost because of the fall. Seeking to find the grace of God. Maybe not knowing what it is, but we're seeking continuously. We run from one thing to the next, struggling to find what it is that has been taken from us. And you have to think about the fear of Mephibosheth. How should he have felt towards David? Because of the rule and reign of David, he lost everything. Anger, bitterness, any time the mention of David had to come up as he was growing up, you have to think there was fear. Is David trying to find me? Will David ever find me here? I lost everything that I had because of David. Anger and bitterness. And as the story unpacks in 2 Samuel chapter 9, you have David where is one of the descendants of Jonathan? Well, he's in Lodabar. Now, all of your life you've grown up thinking as Mephibosheth, if David ever finds me, my life is over. If David ever finds me, my life is over. I hate David because he took everything that I had. Anger towards David, fear towards David. Can you imagine being Mephibosheth sitting at your house in Lodabar as a crippled man looking out the window and seeing the king's chariots coming towards your house? Seeing the soldiers coming towards your house. They finally arrive at your door. They knock on the door. The door is opened. They come in. They see you. Are you Mephibosheth? Yes, I'm Mephibosheth. What do you need? The king has requested you. Can you imagine in that moment what Mephibosheth feels? My time has finally come. He has found me. The one who I hate, the one who I am running from. Many times, if I can say this, because of a lack of understanding of covenant, this is how people feel towards God. People feel that God is only after them to do them harm, only after them to destroy them because we have a lack of understanding of covenant. We have a lack of understanding of grace. We fear God. We flee from Him and try to hide from Him. But God always seeks us. The beautiful thing about the Bible, and if someone tells me, I tell the guys at the other side this, if you tell me that you found Jesus, I will celebrate with you, but then I will remind you, he wasn't lost, you were lost. He came and found you. God always seeks us out, even when we're in the wilderness, even when we're in the barren places. When Mephibosheth gets to the palace, immediately throws his crutches down, falls on his face, fearing for his life, David says, Mephibosheth, here's your servant. What's coming next? He has no idea how to know. The only thing he has is fear. But listen to the words of David. Do not fear. Do not fear. Those wonderful words that bring comfort to the heart of Mephibosheth are so similar to the words of Jesus that he speaks to his disciples and he continues to speak to us today. Fear not. Fear not. 
And David goes on to say that he's going to show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. I have to help you understand this. David here is giving us an example of the kindness of God toward us. It is not merely kindness for our sake. God is not merely kind to fallen mankind because of us. Most importantly, more importantly, he is kind to us for the sake of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like the covenant that was between David and Jonathan, Mephibosheth becomes a recipient of that for Jonathan's sake. God is kind toward us so that the name of his son is continuously glorified by those who receive of his great grace. Notice that the kindness of God, the grace of God, it goes above and beyond. If I could teach you about grace today, I would teach you that it goes beyond even what you are able to think. God's love for you, God's ability to not only save, but to restore all that we have lost due to the fall. David restored to Mephibosheth all of Saul's land, all of his land, but also servants to keep the land. If you're a crippled man and you get a farm, you just got a lot of work. Just think about that for a minute. If you've done farming, it's wonderful to have the farm, but that requires that you have to work. Now you have to keep the land. You can't let all this grow up. If you're a crippled man, getting a farm may not be the best thing. But he also gets servants to keep the farm and to till the land. And we have a picture of redemption here. From low to bar, a wilderness of nothing, to regaining the inheritance of his grandfather, which included a fruitful land. I want to say this. Please listen and please catch what I'm saying. Redemption is more than just the forgiveness of sins. It is never less. Without the forgiveness of sins, there is no reconciliation. There is no redemption. But in the word salvation is the healing of the whole man. It is the restoration of what has been lost. The image of God is restored. The dominion that Adam lost is restored through faith in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. God saves you not only to forgive you of your sins, but to empower you to live a fruitful life for Him. Grace goes beyond just forgiveness of sins. Packaged within that is the ability to live for God and no longer live with shame and guilt, beat down and broken in a house of slavery, sold under sin in the wilderness. Now we have the ability by the power of the Holy Spirit to bring forth fruit in our lives to the glory of God. That's what grace does for us. It brings us so much further than we many times even see or understand. And this is God's desire for us. A seat at the table. A seat at the table. i got to take a drink of water before I get into this one. Possibly the most beautiful picture and the most wonderful work of grace in this entire story of Mephibosheth is the seat at the king's table. This represents restored communion. Think of the way that he felt about David for so many years. Anger, bitterness, resentment, running away. Now the communion has been restored. He understands who David is. He's beginning to understand this idea of covenant and grace because of his father, Jonathan. He is put at the king's table, given a position of honor and intimacy. He is transferred from the situation of hopelessness, put into a situation of full hope and joy. This is like salvation. We are restored in our communion with God, given a position of honor and intimacy. The Bible describes us as being seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And this table is a place to continuously be reminded of the goodness of God. Our church family 
has been talking so much about the goodness of God. And the table of the Lord is a place to always be reminded of the goodness of God. This seat that Mephibosheth now gets that we as new covenant believers now receive at the table of the Lord is a place to always be reminded of the goodness of God. And so here's where I want to transition this sermon. What made David think about the covenant that he had made with Jonathan? You ever asked yourself that question? What made David in this moment begin to think about the covenant he had made years ago with Jonathan? What is it that brought to mind the covenant? Is it possible that the same thing that made David remember the covenant was the same thing that gave Mephibosheth the assurance that David would always be kind to him? David's scar. A scar on David's hand or a scar on David's wrist that reminded David every time he saw it of a covenant that he made years past with his friend Jonathan. Is it possible that seeing that scar, David remembered the covenant? Because scars are powerful reminders. Every person under the sound of my voice, I'm willing to bet, has a scar and a story to go with it. I have a scar across my finger where I thought it'd be a good idea to check a barbed wire fence. How tight is it while the man was stretching it with no glove on? Horrible idea. Because the moment I lifted up, it popped loose from the fence stretcher, came back like a slinky, and cut right through my finger. So I can tell you that story every time I see that scar. I've got two fingers here that I'm lucky to have. I guess my fingers are under attack. Because I went to load a crossbow bolt when I was about 14 years old into a loaded crossbow. crossbow. It went off and hit my fingers. Scars there, I can tell you that story. Scars in my knee from tripping and having a nail through it. Scars above my eyes from having surgery. Every scar that we have shows us and reminds us of a story that we had in the past. You have scars that remind you of things that you've experienced. They remind you of the pain that you experienced. I could also say that we have emotional and spiritual scars. From things that we have experienced, we have been marked, we have been scarred, we experience through these things a measure of healing, but they're always evidence of a pain that possibly still remains. Here's the question that I have. How can we be sure that one day all these things will be taken away? How can we be sure that as the Bible says, every tear will be wiped away, every hurt, every pain, every wrong will be taken away and done away with? How can we know as new covenant believers that God will always be kind to us? The reason that the young girl with the flower doesn't understand is because the person that she is in the relationship with bounces back and forth, therefore she bounces back and forth. How can we as new covenant believers rest in the fact of knowing that God will always be kind to us the same way that Mephibosheth did looking upon the scars of another as you look upon the scars of another you are reminded think of it David coming to the table Mephibosheth sitting at the table what do you want to eat today Mephibosheth I don't know David whatever you have well, here's some bread. The moment he breaks that bread and he hands it across the table, Mephibosheth sees the scar on David's hand that reminds him, David is bound by a covenant with my father to always be good to me, to always show me kindness. But here's the thing, as new covenant believers, we don't look to the scar of David. 
Instead, we look to the scars of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever wondered why the scars of Jesus' body remain even after the resurrection? Have you ever asked that question? Received a resurrected body, but yet still had the scars upon his body? Why? They're the marks of the covenant of grace that God the Father entered into with his son at Calvary. They are the marks of the new covenant that we enter into through faith in Jesus Christ. There's Old Testament prophecy concerning this. Isaiah 49, verse 16. I want you to see this on the screen. God saying to the people of Israel, See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me, inscribed on the palms of the hands of God. Isaiah 62, 8 says this. The Lord has sworn by His right hand and by the arm of His strength. Throughout the Old Testament, you see God and His salvation being revealed through His right arm. The right arm represents God's strength, God's power. The arm which God reaches in and saves us out of the depths of sin, out of the depths of brokenness. All of these things, all of the symbols, all of the rites of the Old Testament, all of the inspired prophecy, all the yearning of life through the ages, all anticipated the climax, the glorious climax at Calvary, where Jesus had said that the new covenant would be given in His blood, and now the promise was fulfilled. The blood on the cross bore witness. It was as though at the cross, God lifted up His holy arm, and proclaim to the ends of the earth, I have kept the covenant of love. I so love the world that I've given my one and only Son to die for you, that whoever believes in Him should never perish. We see at the cross, this is why the cross is so beautiful, God demonstrating the covenant principle. Like the man that I told you about at the beginning of the sermon, holding up his bloody right arm, what I've spoken with my mouth, I will keep with my life. As Jesus was upon the cross, the right arm of God, as his blood flowed down upon that tree, it is God's declaration to you and to me and to all of fallen mankind that he has kept his end of the covenant, that he will be good to all who enter into that covenant through faith. How do we know that God will always be good to those who come to him? Because of the scars upon the body of Jesus. The marks of the new covenant that was upheld and fulfilled at Calvary through the shedding of His blood. This is why, brothers and sisters, we can have assurance of our salvation and rest in the grace and kindness of God. Not only now, but for all of eternity. Because our God is a covenant-keeping and a covenant-making God. He's a God of all grace, and for the sake of His Son, catch this, for the sake of His Son, Jesus Christ, He desires, God desires to pour out grace upon you and upon me, upon all who become members of the new covenant so that the name of Jesus will continuously be glorified. God is glorified in the redemption of lost men and women because it is only through His Son's death upon the cross and resurrection that we are members of this covenant. And if you ever need a reminder, is God going to be good to me today? Does He love me? Look at the scars on Jesus' body. Doubting Thomas. We can doubt, we can call, whatever it was with Thomas, we, we can call a lack of faith, all those things, but we've all been there and experienced it. What was it that overcame his doubt? The scar on his side. 
The scars on Jesus' body remind us continuously, just like the scar that was possibly on David's wrist, that he would always be good to Mephibosheth. The scars on Jesus' body are a reminder to you and me that God will always be kind to us, that the grace of God is always available for you and for me. Romans 5, 1 through 2 says this, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I love that passage so much. Justified by faith, peace with God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, access by faith into this grace in which you stand. Grace that goes beyond just forgiving you of your sins, grace that empowers you to overcome the things that you may be struggling with. Anything that separates you from God, God's grace is stronger. I wish as Christians we would understand, yes, sin is powerful, but it's not as powerful as God's grace. Grace is far more powerful than sin. And we, through faith in Jesus Christ, have access to God's grace continuously. But here's what we have to know. I have to give you a challenge. It's a wonderful thing to think about our redemption, to think about all that we have in Christ. But we have to know that we have received God's grace, not only that we might glorify the name of Jesus, that is always primary, but it is also because it has empowered us to share it with others. There is a lost and dying world that knows nothing about a covenant between God and his son and fears God, thinking that all he wants to do is ultimately destroy them. That is not God's heart. God says, I wish that none would perish. But you and I, as members of this covenant, not only get to experience the goodness of this covenant, but have a responsibility to share that goodness with a lost and dying world that knows nothing of the goodness of God. If you have received of the grace of God. It is your right, your responsibility, and your privilege to share with the lost and dying world that God loves them and God cares for them and that the grace of God can pull them in and out of any situation that they're in. And if you are looking for, if you are looking for a way to show the kindness of God to somebody, you don't have to look any further than your church family. We can talk about a lost and dying world, and that's what we need to focus on too. But Paul said, be good to the household of God. Do good to all men, but especially to the household of God. If you are looking to show the kindness of God to someone else, because when you show that kindness to someone else, the grace of God is poured back into your heart. If you are looking for ways, they're right in front of you. They're right in front of you. And as I thought about all this, and I thought about kindness, and I thought about the goodness, I thought about the nursery. You say, you would go there. You would go there. I will go there. Is there anything more precious than to see a mother or a father, but many times it's a mother, holding a child and singing over them? Why does a mother do that? Why does a father do that? I had to do that with my son yesterday. I'm not a very good singer, so he kept crying. But when mom sings, <laughs> when mom sings, he generally quits because he knows in her singing over him, it is an expression of her love for him. It's an expression of that kindness. There are children in the nursery right now that don't only need somebody to watch them, they need somebody to show the kindness of God to them. There's a world out there that needs to know that God cares for them. There are people within our fellowship that need to know that God cares for them and that the kindness of God is available for them. I don't want you to serve in the nursery just to serve in the nursery. I want you to be excited about the potential to hold a child in your arms and to bless that child in the name of Jesus and know that maybe you have marked that child with the kindness of God for all of eternity. And to serve within this church 
Because it's exactly what we see in David. David was a man after God's own heart. And because he was a man after God's own heart, he knew that God desired to pour out his kindness in any and every situation that he could be in. And so David had that attitude. You and I, as members of the new covenant, have to have this same attitude. And it's only because of Mephibosheth's reception of grace we can talk about this today. If Mephibosheth had never received the grace of God through David, we wouldn't have this story. We wouldn't have this story. And so I want to ask the worship team to come back up. I want to end with this song today. And I want to look at a passage of Scripture that the Lord gave me preparing for this in Zephaniah. If you want to find Zephaniah, it's in the clean section of your Bible. (laughs) I told him on Wednesday night, I said, if I asked you to flip to Acts chapter 2 as a Pentecostal Spirit-filled assembly, that Bible would fall wide open. But if I ask you for Leviticus or Zephaniah, we got to do some searching. Zephaniah chapter 3, talking about the kindness of God, talking about a God who saves, a God who pulls us out of brokenness, who restores to us above and beyond what we could even ask or imagine. And in Zephaniah chapter 3, starting in verse 14, it tells us this of God, because if you remember at the beginning of my sermon, the heart of this message is that you would know God. That you would understand God, because in knowing God, understanding God's character, understanding covenant, understanding grace, we become true worshipers of God. That's what you were created for, to be a worshiper of God, not just on Sunday mornings, but in all that you do, to take the kindness and the grace of God that's been poured into your heart and go out into the world to be the light and the salt that God has called us to be. But I want you to see in this passage the kindness of God. Verse 14. Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your judgments. He has cast out your enemy. The King of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. You shall see disaster no more. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear. There's those words again. Do not fear. Zion, let not your hands be weak. The Lord your God in your midst, the Mighty One will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Did you know that God sings over you? Does that mess with your picture of God? God sings over His people. Just like a mother or father sings over their children to show them kindness, to show them love, God our Father sings over us a song of victory. He sings over His children, reminding them of His power, reminding them of His grace. Verse 18, I will gather those who sorrow over the appointed assembly who are among you, to whom its reproach is a burden. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all who afflict you. I will save the lame, just like Mephibosheth. I'll save the lame, the ones who have nothing to offer. I don't save them because I'm impressed by them. I save them because they recognize that apart from me, they have nothing. Mephibosheth hit the ground. He didn't have anything to offer to David. The grace of God is not given to you because you're smarter than your brother. The grace of God is given through humility. If you bow before God, God of all grace, the God of all grace will reach in and save the lame goes on saying, I'll gather those who were driven out. I will appoint them for praise and fame in every land where they were put to shame. At that time, I'll bring you back. Even at that time, I'll gather you. For I will give you fame and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I return your captives before your eyes, says the Lord. I want to ask you to stand this morning.
We're going to sing a song. When I prepared this message seven weeks ago, immediately after getting this message, I listened to this song, and the two were so closely connected. I want you to listen to the lyrics of this song. I want you to sing these lyrics and understand that we have a God of all grace, a God who saves and a God who sings over his people because our God, church family, is a kind God. Amen? He's a God who loves. He's a God that desires to share his grace and pour out his grace upon men and women. So I want you to sing this song this morning and listen to these lyrics and let it minister to your heart and teach you about the kindness of God.